ask. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to Impact the Podcast, where you can listen and be heard. I'm so excited about today's episode, but before we get started, uh, we always kick things off with a little uh, drinking game, a little fun, a little little drinking game. And so we're going to give Will a heads up and let him know that if at any time during this conversation he says Corona. That means that Neff and I have to take a have to take a sip, you know. And uh, however, so today we always have this little thing we do. So today I wasn't, I didn't have much luck, and I really tried to put the effort in because I knew Will was going to be on to find something local, but I didn't succeed today. So today I'm just drinking cider, boys. Um, Paul just gave me a boo too. Yeah, I tried to buy local, but I couldn't. You know, I didn't find anything that I like. So let's see. Maybe Neff is gonna hold up the local banner today. Let's see, Neff. Well, it's not hyper local, but you know, every month you show me up, you make me look bad, and every month I get just a little better. So, Will. Yeah. I traveled up to uh, Harrisburg and I okay. found Victory Sour okay. Monkey. Right. Okay. And interestingly enough. It's brewed in Downington. So I had to go all the way to Harrisburg to get right. to Downington beer. But while I was up there, I heard about this family called the Harris family. We're going to own the first black owned brewery in Pennsylvania. And it's like a hip hop theme. I'm really excited about it. And I think that wreck Philly vibe, you're going to like it. Tanya, it sure. says it's sour. Let me say. Check mm. it out. It's sour. It's sour. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. But yeah, there, there's a lot of um, interesting things happening in the craft brewery space. Um, and I know, you know, before we got started here, we, we were talking a little bit about Two Locals Brewery, which is an incredible Black-owned beer uh, coming out of Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, I encourage anyone who's, who's interested, who's a drinker, and also interested in supporting, you know, local entrepreneurs and specifically Black-owned businesses. They're an incredible duo um, to, to do. It's, and it's a family duo. I believe they're either father or son or they're brothers. Um, but they, they're awesome guys over there. So got always show the love to the locals. Absolutely. Yeah, so Neff has one up on me today. She got, she did get the local, uh, today. <laughs> Finally one upped me today, but since Will already put it out there, I'll let it be known that the two guys have something called black is beautiful, which I'm going to pick up tomorrow. Um, yeah. uh, over in New Jersey. So we will both have that for August. So I'm excited to be able to support them. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to being able to support them Perfect. with that. Excited about that. But let's 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 dig in. Um, I'm so excited to have Will. I uh, actually Will. I, I have to tell you, you know that my last public event that I attended mm. was at Rec Philly. And it was the Damon Johns book signing. That was hey. the public Look, event. Listen, well, that's one to go out on a, on a bang on a high note, right? I, I really enjoyed myself that that evening. That was a special one. Yes, yes, I had a great time. I was hanging out with um, the young men from Black and Mobile. Nice. Um, with Aaron and and um, and his brother, and we had a really great time. And that was was really good. I'm a big, I'm a huge, yeah, I'm a huge Damon John fan. But it was just a good. It was just a good. So. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, we were we were sweating a little bit because that was like, 
right when when Corona was starting to bubble in the news seriously and hurt me. I said Corona. Um, <laughs> um, that was right when things were really bubbling up and we were nervous about, you know, having Damon come through. But he said, look, if y'all down, we down, we gonna make it happen. And fortunately, folks were still willing at that time. And like I said, we all got to kind of, you know, end it on a high note before quarantine. <laughs> So thank you, and uh, thank you for letting us take a sip. So that always that's always good too. So um, I'm a kind of Will's no stranger, you know, to to, to Philly and to podcast. But Neff, why don't you give him a formal Well, impact the podcast. We really are looking at how business and industry is changing and evolving in the greater Philadelphia area. So every month we come here to Venture Cafe and it was supposed to be kicked off as a live podcast in the studio, but Corona drink, (laughs) but Corona shut everything down, right? So this month, our focus is adaptation. By definition, adaptation is the action or process of adapting or being adapted. You know all about that, right, Rhett? Listen, I, I know, I know all too well. I know what that's all about. So Will Toms is the co-founder and chief creative officer of Rec Philly, serving as the visionary behind the company's endeavors. This Germantown-born Philadelphia native has quite the reputation in the region's startup community. In just four short years, he's grown his organization to almost 20 employees and raised over $3 million to scale from a warehouse in North Philly to a state-of-the-art facility in Center City, Philadelphia. Will has been a champion for the creative community during the pandemic, ensuring artists and creators have access to the resources, strategies, and opportunities necessary to emerge from the pandemic like a phoenix. Welcome to Impact, Will. You like it? Did you like it? I like how you adapted that right there. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. So I know you and Tanya, you're, you're really familiar. This is our first opportunity. And I, I love to talk to people that are busy like you. What is your next 30 days? What does August look like for you? Man, I mean, you caught me at a beautiful time, right? Um, so literally we've been, you know, um, we had to close our physical space for the last, what seemed like, what, four, four and a half months um, since March. And we are about to reopen for the first time on August 1st, which is just uh, this upcoming Saturday. So we are about to to jump back into the thick of things. So we're talking, reopening our doors for members, um, you know, so we're expecting, you know, just to deal with all of the adaptability required for reopening a physical space, dealing with, you know, having the proper PPE, new policies and protocols, you know, for how our creators can be in here creating safely, um, engaging safely. Um, And then beyond that, still executing, you know, between 12 to 20 digital events, right? One of the things we didn't let up on um, throughout the pandemic at all was making sure our folks had access to high quality information and education. Um, so we're going to be doing that. And then also it's my birthday month. So, you know, I'm getting ready to, to, to do some of the, the birthday festivities. Shout out to all the Virgos, you know. <laughs> um, so this month is going to be about, you know, the, the pivot, the adaptability, and, um, and then fortunately some celebration, one for us being able to, you know, be a young startup and still persevere through something like a global pandemic, which is not something you expect to have to, you know, put on the strategic plan when you open a physical space. Um, so yeah, so a lot of just rolling with the punches, learning tons on the fly, uh, and then, you know, getting through it as a team and 
I'll get to celebrate at the end of the month. Very nice. So I mean, I know that Miriam is in the audience. So Tanya and I are members at board members, change agents with Black Girl Ventures. Beautiful. And Miriam, she's in the room and she said, shout out to Virgo. So Miriam, are you a Virgo? Virgo love, I, I think she is. Yeah. Yeah, in the chat. And another word that you used was pivot. Yeah. Now that word uh, is used to describe a business technique. Uh, some say it's a little overused. What does the word pivot in the context of business, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think, I think the word pivot is what I think of when we talk about adaptability, right? I think um, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I've kind of just adopted the understanding that really I'm just a glorified problem solver, right? I get to do what has to be done to keep the, the business thriving, growing. Um, and a lot of times that's having a plan but then learning on the go, getting new information and then saying, okay, based on new information, where am I now? And what may I need to do differently in order to, to remain successful and to remain prosperous, right? Um, so for me, it's anytime you have to make a dramatic or maybe sometimes not so dramatic, but usually you think of a pivot as being pretty dramatic, but when you have to make a dramatic change to your business model, right? Um, so again, for, for us at REC, we run what we think of as a gym membership for creatives, right? That idea of you come into the gym, right? A physical space. Why? Because one, all the tools and equipment you need, you know, to achieve your, your fitness goals are there. Second, you know, it's, it's a great place for um, if you don't know how to do a certain workout or something, there's probably some folks there who can help you, guide you through those workouts um, with tons of education. And then three, people don't talk about this for the gym, but there's a social accountability present there right? It's hard. The hardest part of working out is getting to the gym. But once you're there, the energy allows you to say, hey, you know, someone's over there putting up 350 pounds. I'll, I'll go ahead and do one more set, right? Or one more rep. Um, so for us, knowing that a lot of what we did as a company was about convening people when something like Corona comes about, right? And social distancing and, and you know, the, the government says, hey, you're going to have to shut your doors. It's pivot time. Right. Because because for us, you know, our mission is all about empowering our creatives and we could have said, hey, we got to close up doors and shut down the company for a bit. Or we can say, let's take a step back and really understand how did we want to be valuable to our members in the first place? And what does that now look like in this new world, in this new environment that is social distancing? Um, so for us, a pivot was, OK, instead of having people come in in person. How do we still, you know, empower people and connect them to the resources, the education and that community? but online. So digital programming overnight, we essentially just switched to all Zoom, right? Like most, most companies needed to do uh, to continue to do the, the educational stuff. We launched some new tools, um, some being like Slack, right? To just keep that level of connection between members um, at a time where we felt so disconnected and isolated, right? Um, and there's also, you know, kind of foreshadowing a little bit, we've been, been, even been thinking about well, now that we see that there's still a lot of value to be given to our members, even without the four walls of the space, that kind of challenged us to say, hey, well, maybe there's opportunity to give this value to folks who aren't even in the geographic region of Philadelphia, right? To start to branch out and have some folks engaging with our educational stuff, whether they're in Atlanta or in, you know, um, Austin, Texas, or somewhere else across the country. So I think of all that as just, you know, being light on our feet and staying true to our mission, but pivoting the how to make sure that that impact is still given in, in a way that is true to who we are. 
I like that. Well, I like what you said as far as pivoting the how. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, never pivot the why, right? But you can, why. but you can always pivot the how. Why your mission is your is your mission, and your, your vision is your vision. It's always about pivoting the how you make those things happen. So I I really love that. Um, and we've heard we've we've heard pivot used over and over and over again in this climate. And, and so I really want to get to talking to some of the stuff that you've been doing because I've been following side of Red Philly. But um, now if you got another question for Will before we dig into that, because I, I really want to I want to get to that. Sure. Um, you know, in terms of him speaking about the why versus the how, you know, I always lean back on my military experience and I I uh, think about commander's intent. And it really does seem like Will is the captain of the ship. And it seems as though his staff, I, like I've met Scarlett, she's wonderful. Um, they, 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 carry, they carry and move forward your intent. And it makes it feel like wreck is everywhere. So it's really appropriate that you say that you can expand outside of the geographic area. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many positive stories in social media Uh, plugs of the creative works and the collaboration is off the charts. So just last night I was talking to an affiliate of REC, a creative who was schooling me on uh, graphic arts and comics, graphic novels, and she's like a PhD and she said top 10, REC is like number number two. Number two, get with it. So I say move forward with that. So what what type of timeline, now that you get that feedback from me, what type of timeline could Atlanta, New York, Miami, expect to be able to touch you? Yeah, so, you know, honestly, before all things COVID, um, it was in our plans this fall to be fundraising to then scale to to go to three new markets, right? One being DC, one being Atlanta, one being Austin. Um, Because of kind of the climate shifting and, and us kind of not knowing what's what tomorrow will look like you know we did slow that up to say hey let's just make sure we perfect now right we we make sure we survive and thrive right now with the location we have because we're still new right we literally um when when covid first hit we were only three and a half four months in we had just opened in december of 2019 um but our goal right now is let's get through the rest of this year, right? To get to the other side of this pandemic. Um, but as soon as that's done, we're going to get really aggressive about those scaling plans. So for me, you know, our, myself and our leadership team, we're looking to start building relationships with folks that are on the ground doing the work in those cities um, as soon as the top of 2021. So that way, by the end of that year, we have a very clear path to say, hey, we have a model. We know that, you know, you can call it recession proof, right? It's pandemic proof because we've been able to get through and things like that. Um, and then go ahead and, and put the boots on the ground to really start engaging in those communities. And I'll say that uh, Miriam, Virgo to Virgo. Let's make that uh, that connection happen. BGV, Rec Philly, all over. Let's do it. No, you know, Will, I, um, I can really see you guys in D.C. Like at Chocolate City. Most definitely. I think it's an ideal um, space for you. That's actually the headquarters for Black Girl Ventures. Nice. Uh, it's a, uh, poets and... Yeah. Bus Boys and Poets, that whole thing, yep. We went there for the four-hour finale 
of our retreat the first time we were up there and i was like yo this is the dopest place i've ever been to in my life we need one of these in Philly, so i can totally see you guys up there but i'm curious as to when you look at some places like we work um and the challenges that they're facing with growing too quickly um and i and i know had not you know with the pandemic and everything um how do you guys see yourself moving forward and proceeding cautiously that you don't end up in some of those traps that they found themselves in yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful question. Um, and I think one of the, the beautiful opportunities that I presented myself as a leader of this thing is to get an opportunity to learn from their mistakes, right? Um, definitely studying those guys, Miguel included, and, and trying to understand uh, what went right, because a lot went right, but also what went wrong. Um, and what's, what's cool for us is foundationally, our model is fundamentally different than a WeWork. Right. You know, we work is a pretty true real estate play. And then they say, hey, folks, come in, get dedicated desks and things like that. You know, you go in, you get your cube office. And when you leave that office, no one else is going in there. That's your space. Right. So there's a kind of a cap to how many folks they can serve within that model, um, whereas ours is a bit different. And that's why we like to think of ourselves as that gym membership. Right. Because when you get off that treadmill at the gym, someone else is getting on it. And that's how our model operates, where there's no dedicated, you know, desk or studios. Right. In that kind of like a resident model. Um, so there's a lot of fundamental differences. But just from like a growth and a scale perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely just learning as much as I can. And I think one of the things that is more true to who we are in our DNA is, is something that uh, Nefertari had mentioned earlier. Collaboration is key for us. Right. When we go to a DC, I, you better believe I'm not going to DC saying, Hey, I'm the creative guy. We got it all figured out. Let's, let's just go. It's no, it's about trust and relationship building, right? It's about finding the will and Dave and Scarlett of those places and saying, Hey, we already see you're doing the work. How do we help amplify what you're doing? Knowing that we've got a model that we've been able to find success with in Philadelphia, who, you know, based off a couple key metrics are very similar to your audience, to your market and to your city. Right. And we can talk more about what that looks like and what those things are. Um, but at the end of the day, I really do believe we didn't just solve a Philly problem, you know, with REC. I, I do believe we solved an inner city problem, you know, nationally and internationally. Um, so it's about really going to places where we know the model is needed, building trust with the folks who are already intimately connected to the communities and connected to the work. And then just seeing how we can be a value add. We don't really have the um, quite monopolistic, let's just go there, you know, build out 20 WeWorks and, you know, within 10 square blocks and, and just grow at all costs. That's just not who we are. That's not our DNA. Um, so I believe we'll be able to kind of skate around some of the challenges that they really built for themselves because of that growth all, at all costs kind of perspective. Cool, cool, cool. I like, I, I like that. So let's start talking about some of the things that you've been doing during the pandemic i've been following you with some of these community cleanups and some of the guys to go out so um tell us what you've been doing you know, as it relates to the community building and community engagement yeah so first thanks for watching um and and asking um you know what's what's really been kind of top of mind for me for this whole thing is one just kind of going inside right and, and using this this quote unquote extra time that we've had to and that stillness we've been offered from not being able to leave our houses. Um, to just reflect on what's important and I think in reflection, I think the biggest theme that i've kept close is listening. Right listening to myself, you know what my spirits telling me I should be doing, but also listening to our community 
right? I know when, when the pandemic first hit, Dave and I, you know, my co-founder literally got on the phones and we're calling community members like, what do you need right now? You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes when folks want to enact change, they want to go ahead and just do the things they think need to happen, as opposed to really engaging with the folks that you're trying to be valuable to and just listening. Because folks will tell you what's going on. Folks will tell you what's wrong. It's folks will tell you what they need. Um, so I've really taken that approach. So the way that's kind of come to fruition uh, over the course of the pandemic, there's two things I'll, I'll highlight. Um, the first one was when we made those phone calls to members, we realized that, hey, a lot of our members are extremely resilient and they're extremely creative and they're, they're making a way out of no way throughout this, right? But then we also had a sector of members that said, listen, I'm a performer. I'm a photographer that makes all their money going out and shooting clients in person. So my income has been drastically affected. So we listened and we said, well, using the positioning that we have, how can we be valuable here? And that was the question that actually spurred a whole new vertical of our business. Um, and it, it spurred this initiative called Rec Relief. So we said, hey, let's leverage our positioning right in the middle of the creative economy and the business community. And let's go find the folks who are saying we care about what's happening socially right now. We want to be valuable to artists. We want to be valuable to black creators specifically. And we said, okay, let's put your money where your mouth is and let's, let's build some funds, some grants, you know, no strings attached grants to literally be able to put capital in the hands of creators who have been, you know, disproportionately affected right now. So we were able to do that. Uh, I believe in total, we, we were able to raise about $25,000 that we were able to deploy directly in the hands of about 70 or so creators, which was incredible. Um, and that's another pivot, right? That's not something we were doing before, um, you know, COVID and Corona happened, Corona. Um, but we knew the need was there. So we decided to go ahead and lean in and, and take up space and, and do that thing. Um, the second thing I'll mention is, we also had a conversation with uh, a few creatives in our community. I remember I got a text message from an artist named Gianni Lee, who said, you know what, let's put together a think tank, right? Real quick to just figure out what happens next. And I said, yo, I get it, that's so important. And we came together to really talk about, okay, cool. What happens, you know, when the hashtags dry up on, on the timelines, right? What happens when the streets start to clear up from the, from the uprising and how do we actually keep this energy move forward to still be valuable to our community to still keep this momentum up. Um, and one of the ideas that came forward was like, yo, our communities are looking crazy right now, right? I, I don't know if you guys remember after the, you know, what they call the looting and, and all that stuff, like West Philly was looking tough because, right? Well, what was that? I said, that's where I live at. I, that was my supermarket. That was right. my load. I so walk you, around the avenue. So you saw it. Yep. So it was like, yo, our communities are, are looking are looking in shambles right now. And, you know, the reality is like, we're, we don't have that belief like, oh, someone else is going to come save us. Right. So we're like, listening, like, like nah, it's up to us. Let's figure out what we can do. And that's where the idea of the big cleanup came from. We said, hey, let's just go and start cleaning up some of these blocks. So we organized a bunch of creatives. We spread the word. And, you know, uh, what, a month and a half ago, about 50, 60 of us convened on, in West Philly, went out to like 52nd Street and just started cleaning up people's neighborhoods. Literally, you know, I got artists, some of the most popular artists in the city, people like Tierra Wack and Gianni Lee and Chill Moody. And we're all out there cleaning up somebody's grandmom's steps because we know that that's what's important, whether it's just to build that, that self-efficacy for our communities, remind ourselves how valuable our blocks are and our, and our neighborhoods are. Um, so we did that. And then after that, we said, yo, we can't stop here. So then just uh, this past Sunday, we took it to North Philadelphia, to the hunting park section of the city, 
brought out over 125 people, collected over 200 bags of trash. And, and really all that just came from asking the right questions, listening you know, to what communities said that they needed and then mobilizing. So that's just been kind of my philosophy on, on how we've, we've navigated that. But it really is just, yo, just listen. And um, you know, you'll, you'll figure out what you need to be doing. And one so of the I'll things see. that, Tanya, one of the things we say here at the podcast is listen and be heard, right? So I'm listening to what you're saying. There's so many creators at REC that found their genius after K through 12 education. It wasn't in history, it wasn't in math, it wasn't in science, but they found their genius. The 200 and plus schools in the Philly school district are about to be the next wave of crisis during this pandemic. Does your passion lie there? And if so, what are you and the creatives of Rec Philly doing in that space? Yeah, I mean, my passion absolutely, you know, lies there. Um, what you said, I think is so true, right? A lot of people find that passion after school, after K through 12. And really that's because our school districts are not designed in a way to nurture that genius, especially not young, especially if you're kind of on the fringe, creative, right? Or entrepreneurial even, right? Because if we're going to make it plain, like we know, come on, those, those schools were built to create factory workers. We, we're not in the industrial age anymore, right? So like we're not doing these kids a disservice to, to put them in the bell system and all this and that. Uh, but I'll get off my soapbox. I won't go too far in that way. Um, but the reality is when I was a kid, it would have meant so much to me for them to teach me about entrepreneurship, right? To be teaching me about, oh, you can build something that can have a huge impact, right? Like that just wasn't instilled, right? In, in, in myself as a young adult. And it definitely wasn't being taught to me by someone who looked at, who looked like me that I could respect, right? So for us, we're saying, how do we be valuable in that space? So the education curriculum that we developed for REC, where we talk about creative entrepreneurship, right? How do you build and use the internet to build a brand, right? Understand who you are, build a brand, build an audience, engage that audience using digital strategy techniques, and then really learn how to protect your intellectual property, scale it up, own what you're doing and all that. We teach that to our members every day. But because our membership starts at 18, which we were really intentional about, we said, yo, there's, there's a disconnect here for a 15, 16 year old kid who goes to Dobbins, right? Or who goes to Strawberry Mansion, who's never gonna hear this information from someone like us. So what we started doing about two and a half years ago is we literally teach our members the curriculum as teaching artists, and then we send them into the high schools to actually teach creative entrepreneurship to young people. So that's kind of been our strategy for it. Um, you know, I've kind of gotten a little pessimistic about, oh, eventually the school district will get it right, and they'll help the kids learn what's important. And we said, no, we're just going to do it the way we know it needs to be done. And we're going to work with the schools who understand how valuable what it is that we're doing is. So we've had some success with schools like Tech Friary who came forward and said, yo, we're willing to invest in this. Um, I got a community center, LenFest Center up in North Philadelphia that we work greatly with. And we're now getting to the point where the, the public school system is like, wait, you drove that impact by doing these things? Even though we told them we could do it years ago, now they're coming around to say, hey, we want to see what this looks like. So I'm hopeful that our partnership with the Philly School District can grow um, to a point where if I'm a young person, and I hear that REC exists, I now have access to these tools that I need. I have access to mentors, right? And the real information. And if nothing else, I have access to a community of people who are going to affirm me, hold me accountable and do some of those things. 
that sometimes is too foreign to us as young people because we don't have that within our own households, right? Yeah. So that's kind of our, our, our positioning on all that. But the education, and especially for the next generation, is like the heartbeat of it all. Well, I love, I love that, man. You're talking, you talking some good stuff right now. I want to let Marion chime in as an educator. Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to, I know you're listening to this and as an educator. I mean, I would think you want to, you, you were not, you were not. What's up, Marion, my fellow Virgo? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to not give you an opportunity to chime in because Will is talking your language. <laughs> he is. I love it. I love everything that he's saying. And I, I need to become more involved. I'm sorry, I'm not already more involved um, with what you're doing. Um, I, to just give you a little bit of background, I'm West Philadelphia, born and raised, uh, graduated Kappa uh, Visual Arts, went on to Penn State, joined Teach for America, came back, taught two years at Barrett Middle School in South Philadelphia. Um, and so I've been trying to figure out my way since then. I'm no longer um, in the classroom day to day. Um, you know, teaching, that's a job that deserves all the credit and a lot of, you know, work and intentionality, I believe. Um, but I do support, I, I tutor under a company called Teach Now, so I'm still in the classroom virtually um, right now. Um, and I just, I love to hear what you're doing for our students because, yo, there's room, there has to be room on your soapbox for me or I'll just set up mine right beside Come you. Come on up, right. I will stand there and talk about, you know, the disservice we're doing. Uh, a big thing for me is that the district is huge and it's not a one size fits all solution. Um, and so I, I really am proud and honored um, that you're going in and you're serving the students that you're able to serve because it starts small. You're making an impact um, and as more people join, the impact gets bigger and you're able to give that individualized attention to what the students want to learn um you know one of my biggest brainchild ideas was just like if every business that was in the city would have their employees volunteer time mm -hmm. to mentor in our schools our education system would be in such a better place. Yep. We just need a couple people from every profitable business or even non-profitable. We need to learn what you're doing wrong, right. um, you know, and come in and share your knowledge, um, real world advice, but let me. Well, one, thank, thank you for the work that you do. So, so important. So I appreciate hearing that. But yeah, I think that idea is a great one too, because you know, we have a lot of huge companies in Philadelphia who have some really smart people in them. And I think one of the challenges, especially in some of our, our neighborhoods, is folks just don't have access to mentorship. You know, folks don't always have access to, and that could be for a number of reasons, because they don't live in my neighborhood, because I don't have the cultural competency to be in these, you know, other kind of groups, right, and, and be able to carry myself in a way. So I think that would be something that could really break down a lot of these walls and barriers um, to, to help folks grow. It's a great idea. Hold up, Nefertiti, you're on mute. <laughs> I was trying to let you not hear that background noise. The beer is kicking in. I'm on mute. <laughs> Corona. <laughs> no, <laughs> really, virtual is the great equalizer, though. There are so many constraints for young people to participate in that type of mentorship program. You, you need to work to support your family. As a teenager, geographically, you can't get out i'm in the i'm in the suburbs and i like to say i want my school district to be world class like my mall in king of mm. prussia right wow. so 
Beat right, right. <laughs> That's a bar right there. Sheesh. So the the equity in the arts that organizations like REC are in Philadelphia, before you move to DC and Miami, what about the outlying areas? What about the Montgomery, the, the Chester, the Bucks, the Delaware counties yeah. that you have students in that are that would be a captive audience? Yeah. So I'd say two things to that. Um, again, you know, with, with REC, right, we didn't start where we are now. We started in a warehouse in North Philly, right, at Ninth and Dolphin and what some folks look at that, right? Uh, <laughs> four flights of stairs, right? No, fourth floor walk up, no heat, no AC, really thugging it out. Um, but fortunately, as the model grew, we got the confidence to raise some capital and then be able to build out at Ninth and Market, which is if you Philadelphians like I'm Philadelphia. And we know is the gallery, right? Um, and the and the reason why this was such a incredible opportunity for us to build here is because I can walk a half a block over to Jefferson Station, and literally regional rail expands into all of those different counties that you mentioned. So for you know, um, I got family that live you know up in Germantown who can literally get right on at Fern, at, whether it be Fern Rock up top or down bottom at Wayne Junction, and be right here in our space in 15, 20 minutes. Well, folks out in the Bucks County area in Warminster can get on that regional rail and be right in our space. Once you get on the train, you don't even got to go outside, literally up under and come up the couple, couple escalators. So it's given us such more of an accessible point to be reached from all different places where even I think about 15% of our members are more from Camden, right? And in that area, and they can get on PACO and be here closer than or faster than I can get back to North Philly, right? So that's really helpful. But I think what comes next for us is we really want to lean into these educational partnerships with these schools because how beautiful would it look for us to be able to have a, a microcosm of a rec kind of environment in each high school or community center around, around our region. Like that's what I think gets really special where we almost have this farm system of, hey, I'm a kid and I heard about rec and this after school program in my high school. And then I got a chance to take a tour of the center city location. And now I've got something to build towards, right? Now I, I'm excited because I know how much more real it is. Because I believe if they don't see it, you can't be it, right? So I think it's about building that relationship where it's like the tools are here in my backyard in my neighborhood. But then I also can aspire to come down and, you know, get to that flagship facility whenever I'm ready. So that's kind of how we're thinking about that scaling internal to our city and our region before just going external to all the different markets around the country and eventually the world. Yeah, when you guys moved into the gallery, I was so excited. I was just like, "Yes, you and me both." And listen, you like, brought me. Yeah, and listen, she brought again, me. That's what's up, and I appreciate you for for evangelizing and spreading the word in that way. But it, it meant so much to me personally as well. Like, you know, again, my family's from Germantown. You know, I grew up going to church in Frankfurt, and I remember, you know, Sundays after church, I would, you know, jump on the sub and come down to the gallery to window shop. And really just because it was just a place for us to be, right? Like as kids, there weren't really that many spaces where we could just be ourselves and express ourselves and try to look cool, meet, meet girls and do all that kind of stuff that young people do. Um, but for me to go from that, right, as a young kid and, and just be able to try to find a place to be. And now I've literally been able to, you know, by the grace of God, plant that flag here and say, yo, creativity belongs here in the center of our city not always out in the fringes under the L somewhere, right? Where young people can come here and feel a sense of pride of like, I'm going to push my company and my business forward and I'm going downtown center city to do it, right? 
think brings such a good energy to it. Um, and and I, I couldn't be more proud and grateful to have the opportunity to just open up that and hold space for creatives just like me, who at one point in time, you know, you tell someone you want to be creative and they say, what's plan B, right? <laughs> That's slowly fading away. And, and hopefully we can continue to be a part of that. That's real. That's real. Like your art's not enough in this life to sustain you, right? And what you all are doing at REC is amazing. And it's, it's for a type of individual that's cultural, not so much ethnic or race-based, like your guy, uh, Sly, right? Yeah, love his person, <laughs> love his personality, right? Yeah. So as we're going through everything that's involved in the pandemic, so much of it is racially charged. Yeah. I'm not gonna ask you a specific question. What do you want to express in terms of you as a male, you as a black male, and you looking forward, 2020, 2021. I see you, Mary. Yeah. <clears throat> what do I want to express just about what's happening in the world right now? Um, okay. And I'm going to try to be brief here, right? Um, you got 20 minutes. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> she said, go in. Um, look, this is, this is what I think. Um, here's what I'm optimistic about. I'm optimistic in what I've been seeing over the course of these last few months um, in two things. One, I've been watching young people like, the, you know, I, I'm a, I can still consider myself a very young person. I'm a millennial, right? Um, but I've been watching generations after me in the way that they're dealing with this, right? And I've been so proud of them and their energy to say, yo, we're hitting these streets. We're not going to let this happen. We're going to do whatever we can do to make our voices heard, right? Um, and I think that's so important. And I think for me, I started to, you know, after going out on front lines a few times and doing the thing, being out on 676 within, you know, when they tear gas us on the highway, I was part of all that, right? And then for me, I had to take a step back and say, hey, I think my best role right now is helping add some structure to the energy these young people have and make sure they stay connected to what we're fighting for and how we can be doing that in ways that go beyond just putting our bodies on the line. Right. Because if we have to be honest, like our bodies have been on the line since the beginning of time. Right. <laughs> or since the beginning of the time of this country. Um, so at some point, you know, we can also try different strategies. But I'm excited that they're excited and I'm excited that they're passionate and they're willing to do whatever they can and, and, and will do. The second thing, um, and this leans a bit more into your question, when we talk about culture, um, Culture goes way beyond, right, black, white, how much money you have, this and that. And I've seen that come alive in this time where I think for the first time, folks, especially folks that don't look like me, have been asking themselves and others the hard questions of what is my place in all of this, right? And they've really sat down and, and the best of them have wanted to listen to folks that may know more and have been closer to this whole thing that's been happening, right? It didn't start with Sandra Bland or Trayvon Martin, you know, or any of the, and enter all of the names, right? Um, it didn't start there. So we've all been dealing with this. And finally, I think people are coming to the table with mouths shut and ears open to say, hey, how can I play a, a, a role? Because I think we all have a role in this. And I think for too long, it's been almost like a black people's problem to solve the, in, the racial inequity of the country country when really it takes allyship to really push this thing in the direction it needs to go because there's problems that are beyond us right so it's like we can point you point them out to you but at the end of the day you got to do the work and I think I'm really excited and optimistic about folks of all backgrounds finally saying yo I want to do the work let me educate my 
myself what that work is so I can be a stronger ally, you know? And, and I think that as that happens, I'm hoping that it's just going to become more and more normalized and contagious because that's what is going to help, right? It's not, and, and it's not, you know, and no offense to anyone, it's not the liberal left people, especially white people where they say, I want to help you and save you, right? The savior thing. And we know how that plays out too. But the reality is you can't help because you think that you're on this great place and you're going to just like give charity. It's people are finally saying, no, I understand that my freedom is wrapped up in your freedom. So we all got to get free or none of us are free. And honestly, I, I think I've been seeing that in a way that I haven't seen in my lifetime yet. Well, you, you're so correct. I mean, that's what we're seeing in Portland. Um, when you yeah. look at Portland, majority of people that are on the front line don't look like you you and you and me mm -hmm. um that's what we're seeing i was watching the other day white female saying that you know when, when george called for his mama he called for all of our all of our all of us mamas and i thought that that was pretty powerful pretty powerful statement and so you know um we are at a we are at a critical time uh in our nation when it comes to the importance of the allyship. I, I, I agree with you a whole 110%. If we're going to go to that next level. Um, that's really what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us. Agreed. And then, you know, there's, there's so many roles that need to be filled, right? There's, there's the people on the front lines. There's the people who are inside of these big organizations and institutions who can drive change in that way, right? There, there's, there's so many things to do. So I'm, I'm hoping folks can re really lean into whatever you do best and figure out how that can also be an agency for change. So there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And I just wanna take a look at outside of REC and the work, you continue to serve our community at large. You're an active member in several nonprofits and boards, HopeWorks, Urban yes. Creators, Arts yes. and Business Council. Yes. So you only have 24 hours, right? <laughs> I mean, unless you have more hours than the rest of us, nah. what's your strategy for yeah. committee service, community service? What are you involved in? Yeah, um, so I'm not a vampire. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I am a retired member of the never not working culture. Um, you know, I used to do the whole no days off type thing. Um, and then I learned that, you know, I can want that, but my body and my mind aren't built that way, right? Um, for me, the way I navigate this is one, a lot of meditation, right? That's, for me, that's a non-negotiable at this point. And um, it's just gotta be something I do every day if I'm gonna really be my best self. Um, exercise is also a part of that, right? To help me be my best self. Um, but after that, I live through my calendar. And for me, I'm learning that if you really wanna know what someone cares about, it's one, what they spend their money on and two, how they spend their time. So when it comes down to it, I had to really check myself at one point where I used to say, hey, as an entrepreneur, especially in the beginning years of REC, it was everything, every minute has to be about pushing REC forward, right? And I said, oh yeah, but what about all the social good you wanna do? And I said, well, one, my business is socially good enough that I can just focus on this and I'll be able to be a philanthropist later, right? I'll be able to build those relationships later. And I started to realize like, yo, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't need to just try to you know, design my lifestyle around my, my career. Like I have the opportunity, I think honestly, we all have the opportunity to build our careers around the lifestyles we want to live, right? So for me, I was like, okay, if I want to give back and I want to be involved in these things, I got to just make time for them and put it on the calendar, right? So for me, the commitments that I have with like Urban Creators, right, which is um, a nonprofit, I'm on the board there. It's a nonprofit all about fighting food insecurity in some of our neighborhoods. So they build literally these 
herb farms where they teach community members how to grow their own food, how to build farmers markets to, to, to give to the rest of the community. Um, those are things that literally like I got to just put on the calendar, right? And say that, yo, I'm going to dedicate this percentage of my, of my month to that work. And I'm gonna, you know, I think it's important to build better bridges between the arts community and the business community. So, you know, I'll accept the nomination for the Arts and Business Council, right? And, you know, over in Camden, HopeWorks is doing incredible work educating our young people with employable skills and then getting them placed in jobs to change the trajectory of their family's legacy, right? Like, I wanted to be involved with that. So I put that on my calendar. So for me, that's what I had to do. And I had to really set firm boundaries on, if I say it's important, get it on the calendar. Cause I know if it's not on the calendar, all of a sudden, oh, I didn't get to it. The reality is you're never gonna get to it. We're never gonna get more time. So we have to be intentional about creating that space. And I'll be honest, like I gotta admit, even for me, like if my family time in on the calendar, it ain't gonna happen, right? So literally I started designing my calendar to be you know, a representation of what I say that I value. And that's, that's just kind of my secret right there. Just live through the calendar, but be intentional about putting that time on there. And time is, is really valuable. Tanya, I, you want to go I, ahead? Yeah, I feel pretty special. I think we made Will's calendar. So <laughs> I feel pretty, cheers to that. Now, cheers to that. Cheers to that. Listen, I love y'all. I love what y'all doing. Why, why not? Got to make time for my folks. Yes, sir. So um, you just put it up if anybody has any questions. I know... Um, people want to know how they can support Rec and some of the other things that you're doing. I'm seeing it in the chat. Um, so tell folks how we can be supportive of Rec. Yeah. Well, one, thank you for, for that interest. Um, you know, there's a few ways you can support us. You know, one way I think is, is really impactful is um, you can always sponsor members, right? Um, which is really great. I mean, one, one, you support us by being a part of what we're doing and being a member yourself, coming, being a part of our community. Um, but if you're like, hey, maybe I don't need access to the space or, you know, I'm not really an entrepreneur and I'm not learning these things, that's okay. But even being able to say, hey, I'm willing to go and sponsor um, someone else's membership that maybe for a member who can't yet afford it, right? To say, hey, I'm going to break down that barrier for them. They can get access to this education and this thriving community. Um, that goes a long way. Another way to be supportive of us is um, our rec relief fund that I mentioned earlier. We just closed one fund, uh, one round of that, you know, distributed the $25,000 in, in micro grants. Um, but we're looking to do that again. So for anyone who wants to support through that, uh, you can go to recphilly.com slash relief. And then you can go ahead and say, hey, I want to donate, you know, for a, a young um, creator, specifically black creators to help them get the ammo to keep pushing and doing their thing. Um, and then the other way to support is spread the word, right? If you know any creatives, let them know we exist. If you know any even businesses that are looking for creative services, you know, everything I've kind of talked about so far has been on the incubator side of what we do at Rec, but we also run a boutique creative agency. So we have so many talented creatives in our network that we literally get to go and do business with brands of all sizes from Red Bull to Comcast to Lyft, and they hire us to execute events, to create content on their behalf. And when we win those contracts, we literally go right into our membership and pay our creators to do what they love to do. So even hiring us to do your music, to do, you know, your corporate videos or plan events or digital live streams, you know, we can make sure that we're going to do that and, and we're going to make sure our creators win in the process. So those are some of the ways that you can support Rec. So, well, just a quick question on that note. When you guys, was that always um, something that you guys did? Was that a way of a, of a revenue stream for REC? As yeah. Well? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that we got right early on. Because um, again, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, 
we're in a warehouse in North Philly, you know, our space didn't allow us to accommodate a thousand members, right? So when we're building early on, we've got maybe 200, 300 members. It was really important for us for two reasons. Um, to have the, the agency. One was because it helped us build revenue um, in a way where we could really bring cash into the business. But two, it helped us get creators paid, which is always, you know, what this is about. You know, I think sometimes as um, black entrepreneurs, we tend to be over mentored and underfunded, right? Um, so I think it was important for us to say, hey, our folks are in here in the gym, they're working, they're learning. Let's give them opportunities to show off what they've learned and their professionalism and all that. So having the agency, was honestly, we thought about it as just an opportunity creator, right? So it was literally a way for us to go out and create the opportunities for our creators to get paid. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, that agency really helped us stay alive while the incubator was building its muscle to, to be its own thing. Yeah, I love that. I really, I really, really do love that because not only would it be in another revenue stream, I think it just allows you to spread that, spread that wealth and those resources um, with it within the community and is you, you can't and as we see now if it was just a co-working space you know you may not be able to bounce back because they're going to be all right did she freeze on us tanya froze on us Ooh. yeah tanya i think we lost you so sometimes it catches up we can edit it for podcasting purposes until then i was having a question uh, a conversation the other day and it was about slavery, servitude, and work, and the commonalities, the common stream between those things. We started talking about the difference between a small business owner and an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what's the difference? Until Tanya unfreezes, what's sure. the difference, small business owner, entrepreneur? Man, so this is such a nuanced conversation. And I've been in a lot of these types of combos about you know, who's an entrepreneur, who's not, and things like this. Um, one of the ways that I like to think about it personally is I think small business owners are incredible at solving problems and then employing themselves, right? Like they find a solution, they give themselves a job, and then they can build through that solution. Um, for me, I think entrepreneurs are problem solvers for themselves and others, um, and they, they employ others, right? Um, I think like you can be an entrepreneur um, and not have employees, but I think the way you think about what you do is different. And for me, you know, I've never really um, aspired to just be a small business owner. I appreciate the, the challenge of being an entrepreneur that wants to build something to scale. Um, and I think uh, that's kind of a, a way that I think about it differently. Like entrepreneurs, I, I personally believe, really get excited about building systems that can work with or without them. But when I think yeah. about a small business owner, it's like, I'm gonna build a system and I'm always gonna play a key role in that system, right? Where I always have that job. But I think the, the entrepreneur says, I wanna build something that eventually, I'll hire someone to do what I do and then I can step away. That's how I think about it. And I know there's tons of overlaps, it's tons of nuance. And I try not to get to the, into the identity game of who's an entrepreneur, who's not. Um, but for me, my perspective is, are you building something that's bigger than you and will exist without you? And you can go to sleep and wake up and money's generating impacts generated without you. Yes. That's an entrepreneur to me, um, et Well, you talking my language, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's what it's about. Like, and I'll, I'll share this too. Like fundamentally, what we really like to teach here at REC is this idea of direct to consumer entrepreneurship. 
It's all about, hey, because we have these and the internet, we can connect to people who literally, you know, believe what we believe. And we can build an audience of people who, who want to follow us and do these things and we can create products and services for them. Um, and I think the golden moment as an entrepreneur, whether you're a musician, whether you're a photographer, whether you're a model or a podcaster, is that moment where you can create assets, whether they're digital or physical, that can earn while you sleep. Because I think, and if we bring this back, and I love the way you started the question, uh, Nefertari, about slavery, servitude, and, and all that stuff, is because the challenge with everything is, can you disconnect your earning potential from your time, right? Because that's what a job is. A job is you got a job, and I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars, and no matter how much time you put in, you're going to just make this amount of money, Right. And when you think about a freelancer, it's like the next step where it's like, no one can tell me where to be when, but I literally, if I'm doing services, I can do as many services as the time I have in a day. The next step from that is entrepreneur where you completely decouple your time from your amount to earn. Because for example, I have a song that I can go to sleep and a million people can stream it and, and it'll make me money. Or I have a book where I put a bunch of time in up front and then the book's out and I can just make unlimited amount of money, you know, after that from marketing, it, et cetera. I think that's the goal. Because in, in America, it's always been a capitalist society, right? And I remember being at, at Venture um, Cafe when I heard a panel that Arlen Hamilton did. Um, and I believe it was Dr. Pamela Jolly who said something that blew my mind. She said, we can't really detach our importance for Black people to build wealth. Because in this country, we were wealth before there was wealth. Right. So now our whole journey should be about how do we then be able to build that same wealth for ourselves. Right. So that's why I think this whole thing with Rec about building creative entrepreneurs, teaching people how to make money. That's what it's all about, because we've always had the wealth intrinsically so much so that people wanted to bring us from a whole nother country to then come and do the work for them. Right. So now it's about our journey now is how do we just do those same things, but understand our own value, value it for ourselves and then be able to capture that value for ourselves and the generations to come. And as soon as you break the chain of the time and the money, that's where freedom comes from. Yes. Since Will, since Will mentioned it, I would encourage you to go listen to Arlen Hamilton's interview with Pam Jolly on her podcast and on her backstage, um, Make Your First Million podcast. Yep. Incredible. Jolly, she, <laughs> <laughs> it was on I fire. You, I tell you what, I'm looking at the time and I don't think we had enough. We got to go. We got to go. But well, one of the things, go ahead, Tanya. Okay. One of the things um, that you mentioned was tribe and our tribe is black girl ventures. Our tribe is mom, your Love business. It. Our tribe is teachers. And Love so Miriam, I know we have a uh, pitch competition coming up. Will you share that? Of course. So um, again, we're all part of uh, Black Girl Ventures, a uh, nonprofit dedicating to, dedicated to supporting Black and Brown women founders in their journey um, by creating access to capital and community. Uh, and so the Philadelphia BGV team um, is hosting a summer pitch series. Uh, we had our first uh, uh, virtual pitch series last month, or this month, it's still July, um, but we'll have our next one on August 27th. Um, it's a Thursday and it will be at noon, noon to one. And so if you know any uh, black and brown uh, women founders who would love to practice their pitch, they can be in, in whatever stage of business they want to be in, but we want to be there to um, help them hone their pitch, uh, support them in that way. Thank you. 
I love what you guys are doing over there. And, and, and seriously, however I can be of service, please let me know. And I know Nefertiri, you said not enough time this time, but listen, bring me back for the part two. Well, we got you uh, next month. <laughs> invitation, we're going to be doing a session on August the 20th on equity, creating a more equitable entrepreneurial ecosystem in Philadelphia. And I got to have you back for that. So do it. Let's talk about it. Uh, look for the email, look for the DM, because, uh, you know, I always like to sl slide in there on Instagram and, and hit you up. So um, I want to definitely have you back on for that. So I'm really excited uh, about that, about that session on August the 20th. And me and Neff will have a full day on August 27th, because I guess we'll be back with our next episode of Impact on the 27th, which I'm really excited about because we have Judy Wicks and Charlie and uh what's my girl's name from uh artesian foods is coming on so we're gonna have um sharice mcgill sharice mcgill and judy wicks will be here on the 27th so i'm really excited about that awesome. so thank you so much will for yeah. coming and hanging out with us today it was wonderful you got it listen i i really thoroughly enjoyed myself in this conversation um we got to, to just talk about all the things that i'm super passionate about um, so thank you guys for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share. And uh, yeah, if anyone liked what they heard, they want to stay in touch, please follow us at Rec Philly. Uh, and that's just R-E-C Philly on Instagram, www.recphilly.com. And if you want to keep up with me and my personal journey, uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Will Toms. That's T-H-E, Will. My last name is Toms, T-O-M-S. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you all for listening and thank you to Venture Cafe for powering Impact the podcast. We'll be celebrating six months in September, so I hope you're ready. Tracy, Gary, Natalie, Jen, we are so grateful. Join us next time as we explore the impact of systems, August 27th on Impact the podcast, where you can listen and be heard. Yay! <laughs> Well, thank you. You're very, very welcome. This was so much fun, y'all. Seriously, I had such a good time. I'm looking forward to the recording of this. I feel like we, I definitely got to share this on my social media. There's uh, too many good things not to share. Awesome. Tell Sly we finally hooked up. I will. I'm going to let him know. Take care, y'all. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Natalie. Good to see y'all. Hey, sour. Victory sour. Oh, I don't know I what the percentage. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the percentage is, but it's it's higher than the average. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. Great. Um, hey, Jake, Jake, you're still there, right? Yes, I am. Just awesome. I, I'd say you can go ahead and end. I think I think everyone else everyone else left. But um, good seeing you guys. I'm so excited for Judy and Cherise. That's going to be an awesome episode. It's going to be fun. Oh, Tanya, okay. I'll pin you at about five thirty. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Oh, sorry, Tanya, you'll pink her. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Bye. Thanks,